Oh, you're in for a treat today. Brad and I first met Chris Hively way back in 2009, I think. And we've been watching him give first ever since. He's an amazing builder of startup communities and a student of them. And he's got a new field guide out to help startup community builders create amazing startup communities that grow and thrive. Chris Hively coming up right now on the Give First podcast. Hi, everyone. This is David Cohen, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Brad Feld. Hey, Brad. And this is the Give First podcast. And in the startup world, Give First means simply trying to help anyone, especially entrepreneurs, without any expectation of getting anything back. So we'll be talking to mentors and founders about what Give First looks like in action and how it makes great entrepreneurship possible. We polled everyone and they said consistently that their favorite part of the show was the legal mumbo jumbo. So here it is. The following discussion is an expression of personal opinion and does not represent the opinion of Techstars or any company we discuss. Our conversations for informational purposes only, including any mention of securities or funds. This is not legal business investment or tax advice and is not intended for use by any investor. Certain of Techstars funds own or may own in the future securities and some of the companies discussed in this podcast. Got it? All right. All right. It's Chris Hively. I got you on the show finally. How long did this take to make it happen? Well, we don't measure in the kind of years or decades that we want to. Yeah. I mean, how long, have we, how long have we known each other? Finally got you on the podcast? I don't know. I'm almost 15 years. I feel like it's about 15. It's in yeah. that zone for sure. Yeah. In that zone that's longer than we want it to be, but you know. Well, welcome to the Give First show finally, Chris. Yeah, Exciting to have you. And of course, we've worked together to give people a sense of your background, walk them through a little bit of your journey, because we're going to talk startup communities today, but I want them to understand how you got into that world. Yeah. And like most of us start with being an entrepreneur, had an early success as a founder of MapQuest, turned that into, you know, being the adult supervision that gets parachuted into some other startups that get stuck. You know, you dabble here, you dabble there. Ran a corporate venture capital firm during the boon of late internet in the late 90s. So learned VC in that language. Spent my time out of Chicago. MapQuest was out of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, by the way, and then Denver. And then found myself down in Raleigh, Durham and starting to read about Techstars and, and YC and said, well, if one is fun, 10 should be a complete freaking blast. And uh, that's when we met. Yeah. And the journey is long. I mean, we spent some time actually working together at Techstars. You were, you were helping us with the startup communities work that, that we were doing inside of Techstars, you know, working in communities like Buffalo and a bunch of other places, helping them get their startup communities into a better place. And of course, I think we learned a ton together and my co-founder and our good friend, Brad Feld, of course, and others have written books together about startup communities. And now you've joined that club. You're in the author game today, right? Yeah, because, you know, why not, right? We all want to aspire to be like Uncle Brad here. So let's write a book about it and see what happens. Exactly. So you've created the Startup Community Builders Field Guide in order to try to help people who are interested in making their startup community locally better, right? Yeah. And David, the origin of that is when I talked about learning from you all about how to run Accelerator in Raleigh-Durham, which is kind of my hometown now and has been for the last 15 plus years, you know, I've stood up the startup factory, which was an accelerator, but not unlike you all in Boulder, like that happens to be maybe one of the vehicle that people see, but behind that is all the other things you're getting involved in and helping and supporting and helping others stand up events or activities and giving them boosts and 
you know, you know, you wear multiple hats, you're an investor, you're a community builder, you're an accelerator operator. And in doing so, I really got kind of started geeking out on what makes for a good startup community, deconstructed Brad's first startup community's book in 2012 and used that as a somewhat of a model, but just always kept in touch with you all. And I think when you talk about give first and sharing knowledge and information and with no kind of no friction, I think our startup factory was coming to an end and I was trying to think of what I want to do next and trying to convince you all to put a tech stars in, in Raleigh Durham. And he said, why don't you come out and hang out with us for a while? And though I've only worked for myself for the last 20, 25 years, the next thing you know, the three of us said, hey, let's let's do something together. And that's to me, it's like the ultimate staying connected and being cool with each other, you know? That's what we do. We, we play this trick. We say, let's, let's hang out. Let's get together. And then, then we make you work. Yeah, we like get you into the company yeah. and make you work at Techstar. So and be careful. It was. <laughs> yeah, be warning careful. to everyone. If it you're looks, listening, that is our trick in order to get you involved. It looks sexy, but the next thing you know, it's like Godfather 3. They suck you in. Now, but you've, I mean, you know, in the context of Techstars, but also more time outside of Techstars, you've been working on that startup community, Raleigh Durham. You've been working on others around the world. You're one of the world's foremost experts on how to build startup communities. I know you won't like that I say that, but you are. Right. And I know you, and I know that this book is pure give first. You want to help others learn what you've learned. Talk about the motivations for writing the book and what can people expect when they check it out? Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of work, but this is still very nascent understanding. In a way, this is my new startup for the last five years is really trying to understand this. And there's so much more to learn and it's such, it's so complex and nuanced. But, you know, what I found is that I continue to talk to economic development folks. I continue to talk to investors, founders in their respective towns and cities that all want more for their town in terms of a startup community or an entrepreneurial ecosystem. And there's still a lot more questions than answers. And, and even with the answers, it's not really specific answers. It's more of a mindset. And so early on when Brad and Ian wrote the Startup Community Way, and we were going to kind of blend our efforts, we decided at one point that they would kind of go more meta and more science, and that eventually I would kind of lay out the field guide. So it's taken me a couple of years, but that's what the new book's about. And it's supposed to be kind of answers a simple question. Okay, I'm motivated to do something in my town. What do I do tomorrow? Like, tell me what I do tomorrow. So that's what the book's about. That's awesome. I know a lot of people who read startup communities or startup community way, and there's lots of ideas and frameworks in there, but yeah, how do I make it practical? How do I, what do I actually do now? What do I do next? How do I know it's time to do it? So Mark Solon, a mutual good friend of ours, has a blog. He, he calls it to write is to think, right? And so my guess is that this really made you think, how do I capture this? Like, what are some of the big things that you figured out just from writing the book in terms of how you would present the field? Yeah. Well, the hardest thing is to try to tell a story in a way and organize it in a way that hopefully is as consumable as possible. That was actually the hard part. And we'll see whether I got it right, but hopefully there's enough in it for, for just about anybody. But, you know, I come down to thinking, you know, not coincidentally that the easiest way to start is just to give back and to give first. Right. So what happens is there's a bunch of people, they get in the room. Some of them are very successful in what they've done, building companies in your town or city. And the first thing they do is they try to kind of organize things and structure things in a, in a, in a really kind of tight, just like you run a big company, right? Very hierarchical and top down. And that's the first mistake is found, you know, new founders don't really fit that, right? They're the most unstructured, you know, 
let's break shit mentality. So the very people they are trying to serve, they kind of piss off, right? So the first thing I just say is, all right, slow your roll a little bit. Let's think about, remind them who the founders are, and then simply just go talk to them and see what you can do to help them. It's the most basic startup community building one-on-one thing you can do is just find founders and ask them how you can help. Yeah, because so much as as we've learned together, and I know you know is case, so much of this is just cultural, right? And so for a lot of communities that are trying to get a start, it's just demonstrating that kind of give first culture. How can I help culture? And making that almost a social norm, right? And so is it really that simple that if you're really just getting started, that that's the thing to focus on? Or is that also its own journey and really no community's ever done in terms of building its own culture? Well, you're definitely never done. And I look at my own work in the last 12, 13 years in Raleigh-Durham is that you hit these kind of really good inflection points and then it starts to plateau. We probably quadrupled or 10x the number of founders in our area. So where I used to know every one of them and I could influence their behavior and their mindset and help build the culture, it's really difficult for me to do that now. So by the way, the way we're doing that is I've organized a group that will run Raleigh-Durham Startup Week for the second time this year. That's my way of trying to keep the culture. But you remind me when you said culture that there's a funny thing. The other thing that people do is, and with your work with Mark Nagar back in the day, you kind of outlined five big themes, I call them. Culture, density, talent, capital, the institutional support. And I put those in an order, but what really happens is almost all the time is that they're flipped. People first think about how can government help? And then they figure out how we got to go get capital. And all of those things placed on a weak cultural foundation, you run into a ceiling. As you know, as most people know, a, a $50 million fund that is deployed to founders in a culture with no mentorship is going to be wasted. In fact, you'll have a negative impact. So it, you really do have to have kind of this cultural mindset as a foundation. And then you build the other things on top of that, in my view. One of the most frequent questions that I hear people asking that are working, you know, they're, they're sort of leaders in their own startup community. They're trying to help. They're not trying to act like the president of the startup community. They're just trying to help, right? Doing it the right way with the right mindset. And they're making some progress, but they always want to know, you know, David or Chris, like, how do I know that this is actually working, yeah. right? Like, do I just measure the number of jobs? Is that what I do? Or how do I know that I'm making progress? Do you talk about that in the field guide at all? Yeah, I do. And I, I save it a little bit for last. And it's not unlike the podcast that Brad and Ian and I did. And I saved the last two episodes about how do you measure. It's one of the most difficult things to get your hands around. Because if you're successful, typically you've measured things and you understand right how you can kind of benchmark yourself. And the problem is it's just sometimes the thought of measuring actually becomes counterproductive in startup community building. There's got to be a little bit of trust and some faith in that you're moving in the right direction. And so, yeah, don't measure jobs. Don't even measure capital deployed because it's really, that's really kind of a, a lagging indicator. It's not an input. More capital doesn't mean more companies, by the way, as many researchers have found. So it gets back to kind of, what do you want to measure? Like, it's almost like NPS, you know, talk to the founders. Are they happier? Are more founders seem to be coming out of the woodwork? Are they, you know, how many meetups are kind of connecting people? Ask the founders, like, are they getting enough information, access to knowledge? Those are the kind of things that are probably more important than figuring out how many jobs you put into play. A lot of people listening are maybe people in 
you know, government or larger organizations, what role do these larger companies or sort of governments have in the startup community? Yeah, it's a great question because those are the people that typically have hired us in the past when we were running this as a business inside Techstars and even some of the small consulting that I continue to do. And so, you know, I look at some examples. The example that Brad wrote about in startup communities was how the University of Colorado merely played a convener. I have space, come join us, right? It won't cost you anything. And if you have a meetup around some entrepreneurship or capital raising or some topic, you can be the convener. It's not really a good idea for the government or large corporations to be the leader of an activity. It's better that they support someone else, usually a founder, right? Or a serial founder in their, in their endeavors. Because at the end of the day, I think new entrepreneurs are inspired by current and former entrepreneurs, not by managers, right? That manage things. And so you want to put those founders, either current or serial, as the face, right? You want them to be, I think it's very aspirational. And so what can government and universities and corporations do? Find those people and support their actions with money, with space, with infrastructure, with in-kind stuff. And that's a better role for them to play, at least in the beginning. It reminds me a little bit of the, the story, I think it was 2012 or so, Startup America, Right, coming to, you know, the government wants to spend a bunch of money to make more startup communities and make more accelerators. And a bunch of us went to DC and said, if you want to see more accelerators and you want to see more early staging activity, what you need to do is nothing. Yeah. That's already happening, right? There will be a lot of accelerators. You know, it, for you to go and fund them, like you said earlier, funding does not always equal a better outcome. What you're funding is people who may not be able to raise that capital on their own and don't necessarily have the entrepreneurial experience. So, you know, sort of shining the light on the entrepreneurs is what a lot of these groups I think can do that's super additive and just trying to be a useful member in the community. If, if I'm a founder, a lot of founders are listening. Let's say I'm working on an early stage company. I'm really busy. I'm heads down with that thing. What can I do to help my startup community? Yeah. I mean, this is the Give First podcast. So everyone should have a Give First moment in their and so I really encourage, as you know, we've always preached and you've preached as part of Techstars, like just finding a few ways to give back. Not a week goes by that a founder that's maybe a year or two in their journey said, what do I have to give? I'm like, to someone at zero, you have the last two years of those experiences. Frankly, they're more valuable than the experience that you and I've had, David, right? Because those are 10 and 20 and 30 years ago, right? So, 50, 80. Yeah. yeah so hey, long ago. Who's counting? Who's counting? You know, so yeah, you can give. Carve out an hour or two of your time. You'd be amazed at what you'll learn for your own business, right? That actually will help you and the relationships and the things that you'll be able to kind of leverage. And so everyone can play a role in the community by just offering some of their time and meeting with people. Yeah, all right. Everybody's a mentor, right? I mean, everybody listening knows something really well that they can help somebody with. Everyone's an expert in something as compared to everyone else, right? Yeah. And it could be, I think what people misunderstand maybe a little bit about Give First or helping your startup community, all these contexts is it can be proportional to what you have to give, right? You, yeah. you know, if you only have a little bit of time to give, that's fine. It's more, again, back to that culture that we were talking about and demonstrating, you know, what the social norms in that community are. Yeah. We help each other, right? And we promote each other. I think that in itself is powerful. And, you know, kind of taking a page out of the John Hill playbook, but I truly believe that networks are the biggest tool you can have as an entrepreneur and how do you activate those networks and build them. And 
So what's amazing is just that little bit of give back. Maybe it's just an hour. Maybe it's an hour a week or a couple hours. Maybe just make sure you show up the events and show your face. Those little things are a way to connect with people. Sometimes it's good for you. Sometimes it's good for them. But without those opportunities, without you showing up, it's impossible to build connections. And to me, connections are kind of the lifeblood of a healthy community. Totally. And you mentioned John Hill, who, of course, everyone knows. His name is synonymous with, it's like Michael Jordan in basketball, right? I mean, people know. If you don't know John Hill, you should look him up. He's an amazing evangelist for Techstars and does an amazing job sharing the power of the Techstars network with the world. I want to talk about maybe a couple of things that surprised you in this work. You know, you've been doing this a long time. I'm sure there's one or two things you learned along the way to creating the book. Any sort of surprising or interesting nuggets that you ended up talking about? Yeah, well, I, I'll tell you probably the second most asked question, and you do unfortunately find them, is that there are what we refer to in the book and Brad's referred to in the past as bad actors. Mm. And I divide bad actors into two groups. There's ones that don't know they're a bad actor and just don't know better. And then there's ones who are taking a very controlling, I am the president of the startup community. We're going to do things my way and have a kind of a zero sum game kind of mentality. And so the question's always kind of, what do you do with those? And I don't know if there's enough pages in the book to really cover it to the greatest extent, but the answer is that you try your best for as long as possible to convince them to come into the new way. You know, the easiest thing would be to ostracize them and to cut them, try to cut them off and badmouth them. And, you know, most of those people are actually pretty important. They have access to money or place and they have a reputation. So figure out how to draw them in and do it. Like even when you're tired of doing it, you've done it four or five times, do it another three times. I think that's a great one. I mean, just like in the movies, right? Some bad actors think they're good ones, right? And they're trying to do the right thing. Maybe they just aren't doing it well. And just by trying to help them see, maybe this is a better way to do it, right? Sometimes you actually convert these people. What if you don't? Yeah, yeah. If you don't though, how do you deal with it? What if you don't? Then what I'm going to tell you is that goes back to that network mentality as opposed to hierarchy. Those people in a hierarchical kind of structure, they get you know, you have to go through them to get access. In a network structure, no one node, no one person is that that important. And if you you can work around them, you can build things outside of them, despite them, not including them, which is, by the way, sometimes the long game, which is eventually some of them go, oh, crap, I've now kind of on the, I'm on the, I'm that node that's way out on the edge that's not connected to only three people. So what you can do is just kind of work around them. And, and just don't empower them and build a community that's a network structure where everyone's part has all the, you know, has all the pieces of the things that we think are important, have good culture, give first, no zero sum game thinking, founders are the center, you know, employ those things over and over again. And with time, those people will either fade out and become irrelevant or they'll rewire themselves and come back in. Awesome. Yeah. I don't want to focus too much on it because most people yeah. are great and want to be helpful. But I have run into that, some in the so-called one-horse towns, right, where there's someone that is acting as the president of the startup community, right? Sometimes they just need to be educated. So you've written the book to do it. Yeah. Uh, we start, start with awareness and education and let that play out as long as possible. Yep. So if I'm working on a startup community in, say, my own small to medium-sized community, let's say we've made some progress. We've got a few venture funds, few angel investors. They're still pretty nascent, but hey, there's some cool startups here. What are some of the most common sort of next steps beyond the, the culture, right, that I need to really start working on? 
Yeah, well, one of the common things across all communities, almost regardless of size, is you have to be getting a pipeline of new founders, right? So you start to have some success. You might have kind of five or eight companies that start to break out. They raise one or two rounds. Maybe they've gone to an accelerator. They come back. You've got some mentorship going. Maybe even kind of they're all organized around a, a central co-working space, starting to get a little bit of this flywheel effect. The tendency is for some people to go, okay, let's make sure we kind of push those eight to the finish line, right? Let's double down on them. And that can be really dangerous because they may or may not succeed. If there's a playbook, you and I'd be running it every day. So there's not one playbook. And and then next thing you know, it's three years later and there's no pipeline, right? Because you've kind of stopped working with how do I inspire new founders? I do think of it a little bit like a funnel, but you always have to be feeding the top and make sure you don't lose sight of that. Like it's, it's yes and. Like whatever you do, do what you're doing. And then you start to do some new things. Don't ever replace one for the other. Yeah, not unlike a sales pipeline, right? Yeah. You focus on closing the big deals and you forget about nurturing the new ones. And, you know, attracting founders is hard. I mean, people have their own community and it is what it is. And you're encouraging people to get into entrepreneurship. But what about attracting people to your community? It's, you know, we see a big war going on now. You know, the, the mayor Suarez in Miami doing an amazing job attracting people there or at least telling stories of that. You hear about that in, in lots of places from Boulder to Seattle to Austin and Rally Durham, how, how do you attract people to want to be in your community? So, you know, I'm a little bit opinionated on this thing that you can't market yourself to the top. It can be helpful, but at the end of the day, you better have a community that's warm and inviting and that can serve you as a new founder or a current founder. If you're picking up your company, you better have access and knowledge and the culture done right. And I have no idea, you know, I'm not no disparagement to any of those places you mentioned, but there's got to be someone that's going to catch you and, and warmly kind of bring you in and get you connected, right? And that a culture has to exist where it happens naturally as opposed to it has to be super organized, right? Like, okay, you know, I have to introduce you to these three people and then these three people do these X number of things. I think it's got to be a little more squishy and open, but you better have that community there or they're not going to come. And in fact, in most nascent communities, the reason that the best entrepreneurs don't stay is they don't have that, right? They don't have that, that access to resource, that, that frictionless network that exists to help me do something, a challenge that I haven't figured out yet. So if that's not there, they're going to go elsewhere. And the same way, same thing, if someone comes to visit and they don't see it, they're not going to show up or stay. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I totally agree. You can't market your way to the top, but I think I think there is something to the marketing that's helpful, right? Having lived in Miami 20 plus years ago and literally no real startup activity going on when I was there because I, I knew that because I was doing a startup and there weren't many people to talk to, not a lot of venture capital. And then all of a sudden this promotion, right, from the leaders in the community and the people, you know, leaving the Bay Area and other places to the pandemic and wanting someplace warm and low tax, et cetera, like that stuff seemed to have been marketed really well. I think for other communities, a lot of it is just telling the story of what's going on there. People don't know. You know, one of the favorite things I always say when I go talk to a startup community is, I can't hear you. Like, I don't know what your stories are, right? I'm out here in, in Boulder, like reading my news feeds. And so I, I do think there is something to marketing to push back a little bit. I agree that you've got to also have the goods, of course. Well, I am separating for it to be argumentative, storytelling from marketing. Marketing feels like I'm trying to sell someone something that they don't 
particularly want. But storytelling is definitely one of the keys and one of the building blocks. And I tell my own story that when I first, in 2009, when I first met you and and was kind of armed with some of the Give First and the Techstars model and starting to put together the startup factory, I had 275 coffee, lunches, and end-of-day frosty beverage meetings in about five months. And at the end of every one of those, I asked, what can I do to help? And after a while, this thing starts to kind of turn. And what I started realizing was that I was hearing everyone's stories, but no one else was hearing them. So I stood up my own little kind of crowd-funded blog called Triangle Tech Talk. And we had 750 people kind of put their news in, just really lightly curated over about a year and a half. And then some other traditional media partner says, hey, do you mind if I take that? I'm like, run with it. I just wanted to make sure people were hearing what I was hearing. And the beauty of that, especially in a nascent or kind of a developing community, is that that stuff breeds confidence. Like the most common refrain is, oh, shit, I didn't realize that was happening, right? Raising money, raising around, hiring, you know, recruiting a new customer or whatever. People just sharing that storytelling over and over again is a really great community builder. Two stories come to mind for me with your town, you know, Raleigh Durham. The first time I came to to start a factory, I think Brad and I came together. Maybe we were hawking, you know, do more, do more faster because again, yeah. we're all just book salesmen here yeah. at the end, which we also wrote to try to be helpful to people. And I remember coming to that event. And I don't know. You had this amazing space, and I think there were like a thousand people there. Yeah, yeah. if I remember right. And I was just like, "What? There's there's some amazing stuff going on here." And then met a bunch of the startups, and you know, I started thinking, wow, that this is a community that we want to do more with. And I, I vividly remember being surprised by how much was going on there and, and not knowing about it. So I think a little bit of self-promotion can be helpful. Of course, the second story I'll let you tell. We were fundraising together a little bit for one of our early venture funds, if I remember. Yeah, I, I'd offer in terms of a good first in a way, kind of introduce you to a number of funder funds that were located in Chapel Hill and some pretty sizable funds. And I had met the people. They weren't really for my size in the startup factory, but for some of the, the goals that you had at Techstars. And uh, the story he's referring to, Peoples, is that uh, I play ice hockey and I played the game bef- the night before. I was going to pick him up in four or five meetings and I got hit by a puck right underneath my lip probably needed a stitch or two, but I'm like, I don't go to the hospital or make for a long day. It'll just stop bleeding. And, but David, it didn't stop bleeding, did it? No, like the, the next, next day when we were in meetings, your lip was still bleeding. Yeah. And not just kind lip, of awkward. Like, yeah. Halfway yeah. between my chip, chin and lip. And so for everyone, you know, like we are still true entrepreneurs. What we started doing after the first meeting was I would sit next to the target. David would sit across and then about every minute, I take a little rag and wipe my chin so the person he was talking to did not have to hear or see me bleeding at his office. And we would usually open the meeting if they noticed and, and say something like, I think we developed a rhythm of saying something like, you know, yeah, he wasn't pitching the fund right in the last meeting. So yeah. I smacked him in the face. Smacked, you know, just, yeah, as, as I, I, you know, as I should have, right? Like, put me in my place and you'll shut up now, Hively. Well, thanks for the latest, not only amazing stories, but the latest uh, Give First effort and what I know of you, what you've been doing over the last 15 years in different ways. Thanks for writing the Startup Community Builders Field Guide, which we'll put a link to in the show notes. People can check it out. It's just coming out uh, as we're recording this, so that's pretty exciting. You also have Build the Fort, a previous book, so people can check that out as well. Thanks for all you do for startup communities all over the world, and thanks for taking the time to hang. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks a lot for listening to the show today. We'd love to hear your feedback, ideas, or who you'd like to hear next on Give First. And please leave a rating and review, ideally a good one, and reach out anytime to podcasts at techstars.com or on Twitter, I'm at David Cohen. See you next time. Don't forget, give first.